lead the vineyard along with my wife, Michelle. And uh, so glad that you're with us this morning. Um, super to be here this morning because I'm starting um, a series for Easter, which is my favorite time of year. And just love Easter that we, um, yeah, we are Easter people. It's just critical to our belief system and our life style that everything that we do is centered around this cross and crucifixion. And we just love what Jesus wants to do. And so I'm super excited to begin a new Easter series. I'm so glad you're here. We're calling it Love Like Jesus Loves or Love Like Jesus. And we're going to look directly at three different images of the Son of God. We're not going to do them chronologically or anything like that, scripture-wise. But this morning, I want to start off with um, something that I think is going to be a gift to you. I want to talk about today that Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. And I, I honestly, I wrestled with this, with this one. I thought, hey, everybody's going to be upbeat this morning, and we're going to be welcoming moms, and it's going to be a great morning. And then I'm going to talk about forgiveness, and it's just going to, oh, really? But let's not let it be that. I really felt the Father saying to me this morning, actually, uh, just on my way up the hill this morning was, this is the best gift you can give people. This is just a super gift. Forget how you look at it, Jason. You're just looking at it all in the wrong way. Get your focus right because forgiveness is just an incredible gift. And so as we begin this series, uh, I'm going to just look at how Jesus forgives us today. And also, we're also not just forgiven, we're grace givers ourselves. We're also called to, to forgive others and... Um, and that's the hard part. In theory, I like it. In practice, not so much. You see, I love the study of theology, but living it out, it's sometimes it's tough, isn't it? And we'd all talk about the deep things of Scripture. I think there's nothing deeper than forgiving people and loving people. And this is where the rubber hits the road. So we're going to look at Luke 23, if you want to, if you, if you want to turn there in your Bible. There's this really hip thing happening with the hipsters at the minute. They're turning to paper. And just to let you know, if you're a hipster out there, this is hipster capital in Dungannon, right? Um, if you're a hipster, just to let you know, you, the Bible is available in print. Uh, I'd encourage you to bring it with you. So Luke 23, we're going to look at the most amazing display of forgiveness that you could ever imagine to happen. Oh, before I do that, let me just put a little, not that I have to endorse what these guys are saying at the front. I hope that... You know, if you're struggling with the stories this morning, then allow Jesus to do something in your heart. But that get, I watched the Gerd Kathleen become a follower of Jesus. And I tell you what, it blew me away. I was a spectator. And she turned around and she said, her, she's been brought up Buddhist. And, and I thought, wow, Jesus, you just direct us this place. And her grandfather is a Buddhist priest. Well, you couldn't make it up. You know, when you think, oh, you know, what about all the religion and all our faiths? What about it? Jesus is a central figure to all the conversations. Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's why I love talking about Easter too, because it's all about him. So in Luke 23, 32, two other men are at the stage of, of this pivotal moment in history and society. The thing that changes everything, cross and resurrection. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's completely innocent, never sinned, hanging between two criminals. It says two other men, both criminals were also let out with Jesus to be executed. And they came to the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Now as you read this a lot of times, you probably 
you probably really don't understand about the cross because we've made it into jewelry and art and paintings and, and all things. But that's just weird, actually, because it's, a, it's the most gruesome form of execution. And what I want to say about love like Jesus is until you understand that Jesus is love, the, sense, the cross makes no sense at all. It's barbaric, and it's, it just makes no sense at all. It's a stumbling block for many people. The cross is foolishness to many people because we don't get the passion of Jesus. We don't get the, the love of Jesus. And until you understand that God is a passionate, loving Father, He is a God who, who loves humanity, and He, he gave Jesus to us because Jesus was accused by the accuser uh, to, to wipe humanity out. And Jesus says, no, 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 we're not going to have that. I'm stepping in. And He steps in to this cruel, cruel death called the cross. And if you watch it on television, if you watch it on the movies, we typically see Jesus and two other one, criminals, one on the left, one on the right, and they're, they're high up in the cross, right? And, and you got the movies. Do you remember the movie? Surely. Was it John Wayne? Surely he is the son of God. No? Okay. You don't watch TV, do you? It's a really, really old movie. And we always see that Jesus is up there and the people are looking up and, uh, and spectating this. But it's not the deal. In reality, the cross is, is designed to torture. It's, it's, it's extreme humiliation. It's expansive and it's excruciating and the pain. Uh, and therefore, it was reserved only for the worst. Actually, it wasn't expansive. It was also expensive. It was an expensive way to get rid of people. And so they would save it for the worst of the worst, because it cost them so much money. Uh, I'm not going to go into the gruesome details this morning. Guys, can I just give you a pastoral moment? Because we have our children's program going on, and, and we've got lovely volunteers that want to train up your kids and do stuff for your kids, uh, this is probably just, uh, just, just helpful for you if you're a parent. I, if you want to bring your kids in, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. But the conversation in this room is an adult conversation. So I may say things on a Sunday morning that you're precious little children might not want to hear, or you might have to um, explain them when you go home after church. But I just want to put that out there into the room just to say that, yeah, we do use some strong language, some of this, but it's totally biblical language that we're using, okay? So the language might be a little extreme because we're talking about crucifixion, but I just want to put that out there as a notice to all parents, this room is an adult room. Is that all right? And what we've done for you guys is, yes, Colin? Good man, great man, Colin. Inviting people and bringing people. Keep it up, keep it going. So, is that okay? Done that. Hope it hasn't taken your mind off what we're talking about here this morning. So anyway, back to the crucifixion. So they drive these stakes through their hands and their feet. That's why I'm saying that, because I want to let you know about that. Driving stakes and through sticks, not even nails, but sticks through hands and, and feet. And they would hang on a cross, and it would be about this high up, not way up high. And so they, they wouldn't be that far off the ground. So the humiliation is that you're just looking into the eye of the, the person being crucified. It's cruel, right? Everything is thought about here. Everything is, there's, everything, there's no detail that's left out. It's just done so brutally so that the most gruesome form of, of pain can be applied to those that are being crucified. And so they mock, and when they're mocking, they're just looking straight into the eyes. They're looking into the eyes of Jesus, they're looking into the eyes of the criminal, they're not looking up here. You know, you can sort of look away if you want, but you're actually, it's uncomfortable. Even if you don't want to look, you know the person's right in front of you. And can you picture Jesus' mother watching that? And friends, and John, whom he loved. 
IDI, the Savior of the world. Because it's so low again, you know, your, your, your body is, is suffocating because of the lungs and to, to be able to breathe. You're crumpled up. And so to, to breathe at all, that's why Jesus' last words were, were it, took, it was passionate words because it took passion to get there. Passion means excruciating pain. And so when Jesus gives his seven final words when he's dying on the cross, what he has to do to give out each word, to, to bring out a word, never mind a sentence. I'm sure a sentence took a long time. He actually, because he's so hunched down and so low down, he's eyeball to eyeball with the crowds. He's got to actually physically pull himself up just to get lung space again, just to get expansion in the lungs again so he can actually get out this words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful story. And again, if you don't understand the love of Jesus, it's just foolishness. It makes no sense at all. And they're spitting on him and they're saying, you save others, go and save yourselves. You're the king of the Jews. Aye to aye. They're talking to him, having this conversation. And then he looks up and he does that. He, he says those words, dad, intimate words, father, Guys, this is not some hocus-pocus religion. This is relational depth. The incarnate Jesus coming to earth, walking among society, giving the best to society, healing society. And when there's a National Women's Week and it's Mother's Day, he's bringing women back into the fore. He's naming them in his book. He's in his chronological uh, family history. He's on the family tree. Nobody has been taken out of it, even those with a, a, a bad background. Those women that had just a, such, a, such a bad story, he recreated and retold their story in the new story of God and through the kingdom of heaven. Eh? Just fa- fabulous. And so when Jesus comes, he's, he's not some religious rabbi like everybody else. He's actually given the best of the best to society and to culture and to men and to women and to the rich and to the poor. It's beautiful. Daddy, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was asking for forgiveness for those who are sitting against him. In that moment, forgetting that this is completely unforgivable, what they're doing. Have you ever thought about that? Saying that in the moment, in the situation, is completely unforgivable. And so he does that. So if you live long enough, Let's just call it what it is today. You're going to be hurt by people, by somebody, right? Unless you live in an island or a bubble. Or you've got absolutely no self-awareness at all. (laughs) I would like to be the guy sometimes. In fact, many of you right now have a significant wound. Uh, Someone took advantage of you. They lied to you. They cheated to you. They cheated on you. Someone hurt you. Someone that you loved. Someone took advantage of someone that you loved. I always find that actually sometimes harder to forgive when it's somebody else. Because you feel actually... Oh, that, that's okay. It's not really a sin because they've hurt my friend and I feel, yeah? It's like, get out of jail free card and Monopoly or something to get there. Somebody in your workplace didn't appreciate you, an employer didn't appreciate you. Some of you were part of uh, maybe just a church that, that did something that actually devastated you. It happens in churches. Not this church. Someone maybe gossiped about you and said something that was so untrue, and that's, that's, that's hard. What's sad is there's probably people sitting in a black chair here today that have been hurt by somebody that's no longer alive even. They're not here to, to even do anything about it, and that's so, so painful. 
you're carrying the weight and the bitterness against someone who's, who's not around, who's not even alive anymore. Some of you, it's not really anything actually big at all. It's just, just ongoing stuff. It's, it's maybe just a person who's a noisy eater. Uh, we have rules in our house, and we have sitting arrangements in our house because there are some noisy eaters in our house, Caleb Scott being the worst of the worst. And if I had my way, I think Caleb should be allowed to eat his dinner in his room. Because he is the most irritating eater I know. But I do love him, and I do forgive him. See, this is the message this morning. <laughs> and then Matthew can't have me eating because he says, I eat too loud, and then we can't have Michelle. So everybody's got a seat, and it all works out just fine. But it doesn't have to be big stuff. It can be small stuff, just like somebody rubbing their hands and their nails down the chalkboard, right? Somebody just irritates you, and it gets you wound up. Some of you maybe have something ha happen in your life where you're angry at God. Anybody ever get angry at God? Wow, you're all a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> None of you get angry at God. Read the Psalms today when you go home. Feel the passion. Read the words of reality in life. You may get angry with God, don't stay angry with God. Why did you let this happen? Why did this happen? Why about this circumstance? Some of you, it's yourself. Some of us, it's ourselves. We carry unforgiveness towards not anybody else but ourselves. And all too often, I see that, and it's the saddest thing in, this, in the story of Christendom, in the story of the kingdom of God, where God is rewriting our story. Some people won't even get past forgiving themselves. They can forgive other people. They can give, forgive people that walk over them and do things to them and their friends and their loved ones. They can get by in that, but forgive yourself? No, I can't do that. And they're never set free. That raises the big question I want to address today, and, and as, as we learn to love like Jesus, how do we forgive like Jesus? Wow. This is at the heart of the gospel. Are you up for it? Should we pray? It might be tough. Let's pray. Father, just enlighten our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. God, slow down time. Make time stop. <laughs> well, I want to talk so much about your heart today, and I don't want anybody here leaving, feeling... Uh, guilted or feeling any pressure or feeling just like, I feel worse than when I came in. God, I want everybody that has come into this room today to walk away liberated, free, and able to love like Jesus. So God, would you come and do it by the power and presence of my friend and the one who exalts Jesus' name more than anyone else, the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anybody skeptical out there? If you're skeptical, most people who are skeptical, they actually know that, that the proof of somebody following Jesus and knowing Jesus is that we love one another. They know that. It's, it's amazing how, I, I love it, like, because when you go into areas that are not the church, you know, when you walk into a pub or you walk into a club, they can tell you what you're meant to do and what you're not meant to do. Isn't it hilarious? They, like, they have no rules for themselves, but they've got loads of rules for you. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be sitting there. You shouldn't be, can you say, can you say that? It's just like you're mute if you're a Christian or something. Can you, can you do that? Can you Watch me. Like, anyway, it's, all, it's not bad stuff, by the way. But they've got all these rules of engagement of what a follower of Jesus is. But this is a big one. They know, they know within the, 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 yeah, they know within the fiber of their heart because eternity is written in their heart. They know this because it's, it's Scripture and it's handwritten, but God breathed. They know this one because we're made in the image of the Father and we should love one another.
So I want to give you two simple thoughts today. But when I mean simple, simple to uh, internalize, hard to walk out. Is that okay? How do we learn to forgive like Jesus? The first thought, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, is this. Is Jesus, Jesus actually teaches us, I don't like this one, to pray for those who hurt us. Number one, that we pray for those who hurt you. I don't know about you, but I struggle enough praying, never mind praying for people that wind me up. I would even struggle, like, you know, we get those, we, those prayer requests come in and ping, and they ping in, and, and you, you maybe catch your breath, and you pray for somebody on, on the prayer list. But, like, if it's, if you've got, and then you have to have fine time to pray for somebody who's a noisy eater. Yeah, it's hard. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. Remember, eye level, pulling himself up. He's got to say it, and every word counts. That was, that's what Jesus taught us to do. In Luke 6, 28, Jesus said, bless those who curse you. And then do what? And then do what? Go back there again. Bless those who bless you, and let's let, um, bless those who curse you. And what do we do? Let's say it out loud, just just so I'm not tricking you. Pray for those who hurt you. Just say it one more time, just just so it's out there and it's loud and you can hear it. And there's no mistake. Pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you and do you, you pray for those who hurt you. So, I, I like to change the Bible a little bit sometimes. I know you shouldn't, but I, I sometimes read it this way. Uh, pray, I'll pray for them to that, that. Yeah, I could do that. And so in my mind, it doesn't say how. Well, it sort of does. I'm cheating. Uh, I would do prayers like maybe like I pray that they get hemorrhoids. Is that bad? Well, it does say to pray for those that hurt you. So, like, it just this is the start of my journey. The praying part of my journey. I just pray for them that they would get hemorrhoids. So, like, it's not a big thing. It's like, huh? But Jesus said it's to- totally shocking, and the audience here they're totally shocked, and because they've lived lives. All their life, all their history, all their culture is the exact opposite of what they were saying. By the way, I'm making the hemorrhoids part up just in case anybody starts emailing or texting me. I, I, I don't pray that. But I feel like it. I suppose it's the same thing, is it? I mean, we get so familiar around the scriptures that they just sort of drip off our tongue and they have no significant impact on us. But you're hearing this for the first time. If you're hearing these words in Matthew 5, he said, you've heard it said. In other words, you've been taught this for your whole life, and everybody else around you said it. The culture said it. People in your workplace are doing it. It just makes total sense. It's wisdom. You've heard it said, love your neighbors and do what to your enemies. Hate your enemies. That makes sense. I like that one the better. That makes much more sense, doesn't it? You've been taught that your entire life love those who love you and hate those who are unkind to you. But I tell you, and this is brutally shocking. This is Hell Tilton. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And the moment Jesus says this, you would have heard a pin drop because in those days, the Roman culture, they worshipped the God of revenge. They worshipped the God of revenge. And so the Jewish, the, Jewish, the, Jewish, the Jewish audience had always been taught eye for eye, tooth for tooth, blood for blood. When someone wrongs you, what do you do? It's biblical. You wrong them back. It's actually not biblical. 
You take something from you, what do you do? Take something from them, let's get even. Don't let people walk over you. They break your bones. You break theirs. It's a crazy world. It's a crazy cycle. Yeah? They give you the fingers in the car on a Monday morning. What do you do? Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. Today, if you've been around church for a, 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 any period of time at all, you're here, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is easy until you have an enemy, right? Bible's all easy until we have to do something about it. And, you know, so Cheryl comes up here this morning and she gives out that word of encouragement and then she, she throws it out there and says, hey, we're all called, you know, we're all called to go and to make disciples. How, well, how do you think people... I'm getting off track. I'm, I've got little time. But how do you think people made disciples when there was no disciples? You think they went and found Christians and made them disciples and brought them into a boot camp and set them down and said, here's 101 class on reading your Bible, how to pray, uh, go to church and join a life group. And don't forget the tithe. Who, who were they talking to? People that didn't know Jesus. So again, it's just everything that he tells us to do. Is, it's, it's easy to read, internalize, but actually living it out is way harder, right? So the moment he would have said that, it would have been so, so hard. So, again, it's easy. It's the other stuff's easy. Love my enemies until I have an enemy, and all of a sudden, I don't want to love my enemies. You know, it's, it's easy. If Ashley comes up to me and he comes into my pastoral uh, office and wants a little counseling, and he's got a problem with an enemy, I'm going to say, Ashley, love your enemy. And then when I have an enemy, I'm like, oh, wonder how Ashley's getting on. <laughs> I really should hold him to account. Here's what I hope you're going to see. If, if you've been devastated by someone, you've been let down, if you've been talked about, if you've been hurt at all, I'm going to throw this out. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to make it cool. I don't know how to make it sexy. I don't know what to do with it. But all of them say, pray for them. Start somewhere. Because a right attitude precedes the right action. Do you hear me? See, if you don't do that, your actions are going to be wrong. So this is healthy for you and your life and your family and your, your sanity. Your sanity. All right, right thinking helps with right action. Right perception always helps with the right action. And so it precedes the action. And so if you're going to do anything, you're, you're fine. If you start to pray, I guarantee you your attitude will start to slowly, maybe very slowly, from hemorrhoids to blessing, change slowly. That make sense? You start by doing something. Starts to renew your mind, and eventually your, your attitudes will, will lead to right actions. Uh, if you want something really practical, just say, God, do something. I'll just do something in their lives. And you might actually move from there to a place of, of blessing. I don't know. You might be able to move from do something in their lives to God blessing blessing but I think it's so important that you hear that that we start we actually pray for them we pray for them we don't pray that something bad would happen to them we actually start to pray for them because the right attitude leads to the right action and we can get there okay I'm running out of time fastly but number two let me give you this because it's so important Number one, we pray for those who hurt us. Number two, we learn this principle, we are forgiven as we have been forgiven. 
Every day at 12 o'clock, my phone pings and rings. It tells me that I should be praying the Lord's Prayer. I do that. And I'm always, I, 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 sometimes when God gets my attention, it's, it's the big part of that prayer where I would struggle most. Like, I'm okay with getting my daily bread. I don't struggle with that. I don't really struggle with God giving me things. Do you? No. But you see this part, forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. I mean, I even like saying that, but you see, if I was to change it around and play with the words a bit and say, uh, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me, that's even harder again. But if I was to say, God, forgive me for all the mistakes and screw-ups I've made as I forgive those people who have... Yeah? So, forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, what are we to do? And how are we to do it? When I remember how much God has forgiven me, and that's why we sang that song this morning, I'm sure, but I don't know, we, we don't have a conversation. Well, we talked about forgiveness, so I'm telling a lie there. This week we did talk about that. So that last song is that I'm just so aware of God's forgiveness. When I'm aware of God's forgiveness for me, it makes it a bit easier for me to forgive others. And that should always be the place where we start. That's where we should start. It makes it easier. Let me, let me give you a truth. You'll never probably have to give, forgive somebody else as much as God has already forgiven you. You like that one? No, I don't. Because in my world, there's always somebody doing worse off than me. I mean, my stuff's small. Your stuff's... Your, your stuff's like prayer and fasting stuff. You know, I don't know, Louise Glenn, like I think... Touch and go. <laughs> Let me read you a text of scripture. We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. At first, it's saying that our best efforts are just like rubbish goods. What's God's forgiveness through Jesus? What, what does it do? It gives us, it, it doesn't even. I want to be theologically correct this morning, so I'm engaging my words carefully. He doesn't just wash your clothes. He gives us new garments. He renews. Renewal in the scripture is not a better version of yourself. It's a new you. Is that scripture? Yeah? Old creation, new creation. Let me read the scripture to you, Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of, and he arrayed me in a robe of, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's the picture I want to see. He's removing one thing off me, and he's putting a new cloak on me. He's taking one piece off me, and he's putting the other on me. This garment speaks to me of not just God's forgiveness, but my belonging to him. And that's a whole different perception, right? Because, you, guys, you'll never run fast and far with God if it's just about forgiveness all the time. You've got to know that you're just not forgiven. You actually belong. That you've got a new garment on you. That you've got new power. You've got new presence. You're a new creation. You're no longer a worthless sinner. Jesus never uttered those words, worthless sinner. He calls you by your name. He calls you friend. He calls you brother. Wow, Jesus calls you brother, sister. He calls you friend. He calls you family and co-heir. 
That's totally different language. You're not a worthless sinner. You are somebody who's been redeemed by Jesus and brought into the family of God. A robe of righteousness. What's that? It's the authority of Jesus on your life. My desire today is that you would long to forgive those who have hurt you, not because you feel guilty, because you remember the deep joy that comes from being forgiven. Does that make sense? So here's really, really quickly, I think I've got a few things that I want to give you that will be super helpful and then we're, we're shut up shop. Anybody going out for the dinner? Take, take her out for dinner, will you? I mean, just take her anywhere. <laughs> Raft and I and do a great carvery. Love you, Annette. No, I'm just joking. Okay, these are really practical things for us guys because this is a big conversation. It would probably take weeks to um, engage in it. And do you ever notice that when Jesus took people up to say the mountain, he didn't spend like months and months with them. He just, he, he throws this stuff out. You know, like you've been taught this entire, you've been taught this your entire life, he says to people, but now I'm telling you this is a new way to live. And they're like, what? Hmm? What did he say? I don't think I heard him. People in the back say, no, he didn't say that. He did say that. I swear he did say it. He did say it. <laughs> he did say pray for those who hurt you. No, he didn't. I, he did. Now, how do we do it? But we've got a whole book now left, and we've got the Spirit of God to teach us how to, to walk that out. So very quickly, resentment doesn't work. You know that, but I just want to say it. Because sometimes we think it's an investment. <laughs> it's not. You're bankrupt with it. Because when you don't forgive, it doesn't work. You become bitter, you become resentful, your heart becomes hard and cold. You become isolated. That's the worst thing that happens to you when you're resentful. You, you start to get isolated. You start to get critical about everything. We don't allow anyone or God to come close when we're resentful. Have you found that? Now, I found that. It's like, it's like, does anybody just wish you had a wee flu so you don't have to go to work in the morning? Just a wee flu. Well, I just, sometimes I just like a wee bit of resentfulness. Just the fact, it's just, just so I can, don't have to forgive them. You know, just a wee bit of resentfulness. Not the big stuff, you know. Just the noisy eater stuff again. But it doesn't work because to worry yourself, Job says, 5-2, he says, to worry yourself is death and resentment would be foolish. It's a senseless thing to do. It doesn't work and it's foolish. It's a waste of your time. Anne Lamont says this, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hope the other person dies. And we've all done that, right? We all drink the poison and say, ha ha, what you know? Huh? Comments. Take this. And like you're dying inside, you're isolated. Resentment always hurts you, never the other person. It's an, irra an irrational, get this here, if you hear anything today, it's an irrational waste of energy. You want to reserve energy in your life? I've just given you a top tip. This won't cost you, oh, it'll cost you everything probably. This is a good detox right here. Oh, I'm giving you a good detox. You want some energy in your life? Don't be resentful. People filled with resentment and bitterness are ugly on the inside ugly on the inside it comes out of them in every area of their life what they're doing what they're committing to man it's like it's emotional suicide 
That's what it is. It's crazy that we would go there and, and try and hold on to those things. Resentment doesn't work. Uh, you're probably thinking, let's just, just, just take a break here for a minute, right? Because I've given you a lot of stuff. But Maybe in our rational minds this morning, I know what you're thinking because I, I, I'm human, right? So I, we all think much the same. You're probably thinking, I agree with you, Jason. But forgiveness is still very difficult. So we can do all the things on the outside as Christians, guys. We can be generous. We can be kind as a church. We can be compassionate and charitable and good living. I hate that word, good living, but we do get labeled with it from time to time. They seem easier because they're externals, right? And, and forgiveness is eternal. And that's way harder. It's another thing, isn't it? when you've got to do something internally. Like, we could run around and give people groceries and we could do things all the time, but this internal stuff, it's the hard stuff. It's the hard stuff. You know the biggest waves that God's ever going to ask you uh, to command is probably the waves that's going on in your heart, the storms that's inside your life. You've got to get a hold of those waves and, and, and say, be still. And it's like that with forgiveness. It's like, just, just sort it out. Sort it out. Some things are pretty easy to forgive, right? Like, I, I, I honestly, I've... I've known Matt now for four or five years, and that jade this morning was low <laughs> about Man United. But I can forgive that. I can do that. But some things are really difficult, so how do we do it? And how do we get our minds around it? Every relationship is unique. Every, every pain is different, and there's always different layers. There's always different complexities. But we can do some things, because the Bible teaches us and gives us some ideas how we can be peacemakers and forgivers and set ourselves free. So, you're writing these down. I don't have time to go through them. Write these things down. Put them on your phone if you've got notes on your phone. Uh, this is going to be helpful. If you've never been hurt, you will be hurt. If you need to forgive, this is going to be super helpful. To forgive is not to condone. Okay? It's not what you're doing. Some people have a problem with that. If I'm forgiving this, then I'm condoning it. Sometimes people are asking, well, if I forgive them, I'm condoning what they're doing. And, and no, it's not true. It's not true. What they do is not significant. Two different things. To forgive is to set someone free in the depth of your heart to solve, to live free from bitterness, to live free from hate and anger and revenge. That's a different issue, right? From condoning something that's going on. So when we're talking about forgiving, it does not mean that we're condoning what somebody did. Number two, have you written, taken notes? And this is another thing people get mixed up about. Forgiving is not forgetting. It, it might sound biblical. There's a lot of weird stuff. You know, there's a lot of things out there that people think it's in the Bible. They're not in the Bible. You know, like cleanliness is next to godliness. Not in the Bible. Huh? If it's for you, it won't go past you. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. Forgetting is not, forgiving is not forgetting, okay? So, you just need to keep doing it. What do you think the guy says? How many times do I have to keep forgiving this? Because he just couldn't forget it. But uh, Jesus doesn't address the forgetting. He actually says, just do the forgiving. Right? He says, just do it. Just keep doing it. Seven times, 77 or, or 11 times in a row forgiving them. It's just, the issue is, it's not letting them do to you again what they've done. Do you understand that? That's the issue. It's not letting them do again what, what they've already done. So, you, you mightn't forget, but you can forgive. Some people are, are just toxic and they're, they're dangerous and they, 
They're going to hurt you and abuse you and manipulate you again and again and again. And the way we need to set ourselves strong boundaries. Some of you need to set yourself boundaries around people, and it's called wisdom. And you mightn't forget, so just be wise that people will hurt you again. So we may forgive them. And yet part of our working through our forgiveness for them is not being able to be in the same room as them. Did I really say that? Yeah. Yeah. Those are two different things, guys. It's remembering that we will be set free and we're wanting them free, but we're also wanting ourselves set free. We'll not, you know, if somebody's not in the same room as you, it's just wise that you're not going to have the anger and the rage and all that because some things are not forgotten, but they need to be forgiven. Is that making sense? hope that makes sense to you. just say something on the lines of when it comes to uh, abuse and mistreatment of people especially in abusive relationships where um, where somebody maybe has hit a let's just do the classic a male instead of female domestic violence you forgive but sometimes you need to set the boundaries around you and sometimes it's wisdom to actually move out get a restraining order and let the justice system and the consequences of that take its due course in action. Is that okay? Let me say that pastorally this morning if anybody's in that situation because we're not telling you to put yourself in danger this morning. That's not what we're telling you to do. Here. Okay. You're tired? Good. Good. Because I've got another 16 pages to get on with here. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Last thing, you got to let it go. I don't know how you say it in a clever way, but just let it go. That's forgiveness piece. Release the offender. Let them go. Stop holding on to the hurt. And the way you do that is by forgiving them. And you give your pain, you give your hurt to your Heavenly Father. I want to say something about this is that this is not by might. This is not even by some self-power, but this is by the Spirit of Christ. This happens. Why do you do it? You can be selfish about this part. You do it for your sake. You do it for your sake. Release them. Ask for forgiveness. Because you're doing it for your sake also, not just theirs. Does that make sense? Why? Why? The only reason I can give you is a biblical one. It's because he pulled himself up on a cross, bruised and battered, and his flesh torn apart, sticks through his hands, his veins, and his wrists, and his nails, and through the, the ankles on a makeshift tree. I level with humanity. I level with people spitting in his face. And with great, immense, excruciating, that's where we get the word, that word excruciating actually comes from the word crucifixion. Excruciating pain 
does all within his power, physical power, pulls himself up, fills his lungs again and says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Shall we stand?